the Down Below podcast was our last best hope to analyse. A self-contained podcast, who knows how long, located between your ears. A place of discussion and fun for newcomers and veterans. A shining download online. All alone on the web. It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting. The year the Introcast War came upon us all. This is the story of the Babylon 5 Introcast. The year was 2014. The show down below. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. I'm Ann. I'm Heidi. And I'm Elizabeth. Today, we are pleased to be joined by another first-time visitor to Down Below. Say hello to Elias. Hey, welcome on board. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Yeah, Thanks. hi. Thanks. It's like to be here. So, how did you come to know our show, Babylon 5? Um, well, it, I was I was lucky because I remember back in the day. I'm uh, I'm a little older. I'm in my uh, late thirties, so I remember I was like a junior in high school when it started uh, on television. And um, be- way back in the day, before we even had cable, because I'm from like a rural area in uh, in Maine, I remember there was a station. It was like a random station. They, every Sunday, they would have like a random like TV movie, just like a random TV movie on like the four in the afternoon TV movie. And, uh, one time it was, it was the gathering. It was the, it was the premiere for Babylon five. I was like, what is this? This isn't Star Trek. Uh And, uh, so I watched it and I was like, that was cool. And then I never heard of it again for like two years. And then all of a sudden, uh, like P10 and all those, uh, all those, um, short lived, um, cable networks started and they showed it again, and I was like, "Oh, I remember this, and this was pretty cool." And so I started following it, and um, yeah, I actually got to—I was lucky enough to start it right from the beginning and followed it all the way through. I graduated high school about halfway through the series, and uh, what I lost it for because after I graduated high school, I like traveled around the country for a couple of years, and then I came back and started going to school, and it was in the last season. And all my and all my new friends at college were all like, "Have you seen the show? Have you heard of the show?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah," but I only saw the first couple seasons. And so a buddy of mine had been obsessively taping them on VHS tapes, and he had like two per tape, and he had all these tapes, and he had like printed out like covers for the VHS tapes and all that stuff. He had like a library of them. And, oh, that was lucky. Yeah, and so I was able to like catch up over a couple of weekends. It was like in season the season. Yeah, season five had just started, and so I caught up on season three and four, and uh, and and then I, then I was good to go from that point on. We used to joke that it was uh, the last best chance for televised sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, you were lucky, really. I mean, not only did you have someone recording it for you, you were watching it at a pivotal time for you. So totally. You know, <laughs> And how did you find our podcast? Um, well, I'm, I'm I'm a sort of a podcast fan in general, and um, you know I listened to um, the first Babylon Five podcast that was at the Babylon Project 
and um, I, you know, listened to that, and then it was over, and I was sad, and <laughs> then and then I listened to um, the next one that's not quite over yet, that's uh, based out of the UK, um, and I've been listening to that one, and I'm like, oh, this one's going to be over soon. I need to find a new Babylon Five podcast to listen to. And so I did a little searching, and I uh, came upon this one. Uh, thankfully, only. Only like three or four episodes in, so I've been with you guys uh, since then. Yeah, nice. somehow we started at just the right time to catch a lot of people, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Oh. So, Elias, was there any reason you uh, wanted to be on this episode? I don't think it was your first choice, but... No, yeah. it's not. it wasn't my first choice, but um, it's okay because it's still a good episode that I enjoy in it sets up some plot lines for later in the season and, and later in the in the show. So Okay. And I love Russ Tamblin because he's a freak, so Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So today we are here to discuss episode four of season two, A Distant Star. But first here's an ISN special report. ISN Tragedy averted in hyperspace. Many of us use hyperspace for interstellar travel on a daily basis. But how often do we ever question its safety? Recently, an Earth-aligned explorer ship docked at Babylon 5 for repairs, and shortly after left again for hyperspace. Not long after entering the jump gate... There was a reported engine malfunction which stranded the ship in unknown regions of hyperspace. In a clever manoeuvre to rescue the ship, Captain John Sheridan pulled off a unique manoeuvre and rescued the first ever ship lost in hyperspace. If approved by Earth Force, this manoeuvre could make hyperspace travel that little bit safer for all of us. This has been your ISN News. Um, A Distant Star originally aired November 23rd, 1994. It was directed by Jim Johnston, who last directed Revelations, and it was written by DC Fontana, who wrote The War Prayer and Legacies. Oh, Legacies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get started with the recap. So this episode begins on the EAS Cortez, and you got some crew members reporting to Captain Jack Maynard. And I was looking at Captain Jack, and I was like, I know this guy. I should know this guy from somewhere. Who is he? Who is he? And when the credits uh, rolled, I saw that it was Russ Tamblin, who I know from Twin Peaks. Dr. Jacoby. Yeah, and he was in How the West Was Won, and he was in Drive. He's Oscar-nominated. One interesting thing, I saw that he was Elvis's choreographer in Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> uh, you mean he played he played a choreographer? No, I think he t- was the one who taught Elvis his Oh, moves. wow. Yeah. Okay. He's the behind-the-scenes choreographer. Wow. Yeah. But also, <laughs> at least I think I, I just can't put those two things together. Jack Maynard, Elvis's choreographer. I should have worked it in somehow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One thing that I noticed this time that I've never noticed in all of the rewatches, he's wearing cowboy boots. Yeah, that's, that's his little, his cute little thing that his character has is his cowboy boots. 
Oh, I did not even notice. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. He, he's pushing the metaphor out a little bit, I think, because he is on the frontier. He is an explorer on the new frontier of things. Yeah. One interesting thing is that he's the father of Amber Tamblyn, who is Joan and Joan of Arcadia. Mm-hmm. And she was okay. in a Buffy episode. And she's done a lot of, she's made a lot of appearances in the same things with her father. It's very cool. So Captain Jack wants to send a message to Babylon 5 to John Sheridan. He wants it written exactly the way he says it. So back on B5, we see Ivanova on crutches. <laughs> she gives Sheridan the message and calls Sheridan Swamp Rat. And the message says that Cortez is coming in for, well, they know that Cortez is coming in for resupply. It's an Explorer class ship. It's been out for at least five years. We see it come through the jump gate and it's huge. And Sheridan lets the crew know how lucky they are to be seeing a ship like that. And Ivanova tells him that his friend Stinky has arrived and we get the opening credits. <laughs> so everybody has an old friend that comes to visit still. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure. This one kind of felt a bit forced, at least straight off the bat. I mean, the whole swamp rat thing, it, it, there was, I didn't feel the history there. Yeah, well, that's usually how I feel about every single time someone comes to visit. So. <laughs> yeah, at first I was like, "Who is this marmy dude?" I wrote that down exactly <laughs> in my notes. And then the way the ship came in, it was like it was almost like this is the long shot where you see the um, I don't know in the beginning of Star Wars, you know, where it sort of pans down the ship and there's this like swelling music, and I was yeah. like, "What is happening?" <laughs> Well, next we see Jack and John. I kept, I kept calling him Captain Jack because I was thinking about Torchwood, but <laughs> it's not the same. Um, so Captain Jack has been out mapping Sector 900. They got called in to repair a jump gate inside to stop by B5. They come across Delenn, who wants to call a council meeting. And Captain Jack's surprised at her appearance. They talk some more. Well, Jack and John talk some more and... Sheridan doesn't believe Delenn's story about what happened. Captain Jack's impressed by B5, but he's surprised to see Sheridan there. Yeah, the whole... Sorry. I was just going to say, it's it's interesting. This is the first time you hear uh, them say, someone say, the Membari don't lie, but they never tell you the whole truth. And um, I think that's just something to keep listening for. Yeah, we kind of figured that out. (laughs) Everybody's well, perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we're also getting reinforced with the idea of Delenn's change again. It's quite a lot in these early episodes. It's reinforcing the idea is that this is not a usual appearance for a Membari. She has done something unusual and everyone's a bit weirded out by it. <laughs> yeah. Um, jumping back for just a second, when uh, when Ivanova comes in, like with the message, and and then the ship comes through the jump gate, was there supposed to be some time in between that, or did he just send a message and be like, "Hey, I'm coming," and then show up right away? Like, <laughs> like I couldn't actually tell. Yeah, if... I think there was supposed to be some time there. At least okay. that's how I saw it. I was like, yeah, he's the friend that calls and says, hey, I'm coming over. Oh, by the way, I'm at the door. Yeah, he texts you from outside <laughs> the door. I thought perhaps maybe there's a 
time delay in the message arriving at Beepo. Yeah. Uh, down in Med Bay, Dr. Franklin's trying to get Garibaldi to eat better, gives him some foods to avoid, which Garibaldi doesn't like, so he gives him another list of foods he can eat, and Franklin's going to do that for all the command staff. I feel like they're just trying to find things for Franklin to do at this point. <laughs> Put everybody on well, a meal it's plan. sort of like that, but this one was like my favorite uh, story of his, I think, <laughs> ever, because he didn't bother me, and I was very interested in it being a uh, student of dietetics, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, they would have, you know, deficiencies and whatever, and they would need to figure that out because they you know, have a certain foods or whatever on the station, and some of them being alien foods, even. So, like, I was actually interested in this storyline and liked it. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, because you, you don't think about it, but, you know, you are what you eat, and you're on a space station with, like, 500 different alien races, and they've got, like, you know, like, little, like, food shacks around in the corners, like, and down below. It's like, here's some, like, weird octopus meat from another world. It smells good, though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked it, definitely. It was a nice, light storyline, but it felt realistic. And, you know, he sums it up going on about when people eat things and things like that. Yeah, and, and it made me think of, like, okay, well, humans may not be able to eat foods from certain other worlds because, like, we can only digest certain proteins. And, you know, like, there's this whole thing of, of we would like be allergic sort of to certain proteins from other worlds and it just yeah it it was really interesting to me yeah. you know it's funny too because i don't think they've shown um rick biggs without his shirt on yet but that man is healthy okay? <laughs> you know, let, let's just let's just put a he's very fit as as the, as the brits would say and so he's mm -hmm. like it's one of those, like, tyranny of the fit. It's like, if you want to be as healthy as me, here's your food list. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but seriously, that guy is jacked. <laughs> well, also, he must be thinking about nutrition as well, because he's monitoring Delenn as well. And you must wonder, like you said, um, different minerals and um, proteins and stuff when you're actually a hybrid of two different races. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So in Sheridan's quarters, he's doing more catching up with Captain Jack, telling him about the situation on the station. Jack is surprised that Sheridan isn't in space because Sheridan always wanted an explorer ship. Sheridan thinks his, his work there is important. He can make a difference there on B5, and they have a toast. Yeah, and for once, it's not orange juice they're toasting with. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we see Garibaldi updating Sheridan on some thefts on the station of Petty shoplifting wave. Sheridan tells Garibaldi to handle it, and he wants a full report when the situation is handled. He says it's, he says it's Garibaldi's job to take care of that. I thought Probably that was Sheridan interesting. Was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not really smiling in this one. Yeah. No. So in the Earhart, next we see Captain Jack. He wants to hear all of the B5 people's stories because he's heard the same ones for years on his ship. He does say that he and his crew are heading back to the rim. Ivanova wants to know if it's true that there's something living in hyperspace, and Jack does believe that something's out there. If you remember back from, uh, I think, uh, I forget which episode it was, if you look closely, that was an actual article in the newspaper 
that Garibaldi was reading. There was a question. It says, is there something living in hyperspace? Strange strange things being seen. Yeah. It's like they put in all... That's one of the things I really love about this show, is they put in all these totally very subliminal, very subtle things uh, all the way back from, you know, way all the way down to the first season to get you ready for fun stuff that will happen. Yeah, it might be something in the background on a newspaper or a line of dialogue that you completely skip over, but you go back to the series again and you go, oh my God, they put it in that early. Yeah, yeah sometimes I think some of the big payoff of Babylon 5 is watching it a second time because all the things, all of a sudden, like after you've seen everything, you go back and it's like, wow, they were setting this up from the first season for like three seasons, four seasons later, you know, like some good stuff in there. So it's uh, subliminal and in the background until we get to this episode where it actually deals with it. And then this conversation is just like a blinking light. Set up, right. set up, set up. Exactly. <laughs> He's kind of doing two things. It's saying, watch out for this, watch out for this, and look at this character. Yes, he's in the credits, and he's actually important this season. Here's <laughs> Kaffa, here's Kaffa, look at him. <laughs> so This scene is, I think, kind of significant, too, since it's still really early on with our association with Sheridan and getting to know him, because this is a scene that you never would have seen Sinclair doing. He's hanging out with everybody. He's having a drink. He's one of the guys, you know what I mean? Sharing stories with one of his old commanders, you know? That's not something you ever would have seen Sinclair doing, except maybe with, like, Garibaldi and Ivanova. You know, like, that's it. You know, but you see Sheridan hanging out with his troops, with his people, you know, like, in Earhart's having a drink with everybody. You know, that's a big difference between uh, Sinclair and Sheridan. You can really get a sense of who he is as a guy, kind of, you know? Yeah. Later, when Sheridan and Captain Jack are alone, Sheridan wants to know if what Jack said earlier is true. And he says he did see something, but not in hyperspace. In Sector 857, he and his NAF officer saw something black in space, and he knows it was there because it blotted out the stars. Uh, Sheridan says Jack is the second person in a month to tell him about something happening out on the rim, something strange happening out on the rim. Yeah, and he guesses, Hardy and Elizabeth. Any guesses? Ah, uh, yeah, probably, probably right, but you know, That's the only guess so I have. <laughs> Next, we see Garibaldi speaking to somebody about getting some supplies secretly, and Garibaldi tells him not to mention it to Doctor Franklin. This guy's name is Orwell, played by Miguel Nunez, and this guy. Looks so familiar, like I've seen him in a million places, but I'm not exactly sure where. I do know he was on the CBS show Tour of Duty. That may be where I recognize him from, but he was also in Joanna Man. Mm. <laughs> you wouldn't think it would be so hard to get olive oil and butter. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, that's the ingredient? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you need more to that. Yeah. Actually, there really isn't too much more to it. <laughs> Reading the Barney Cowda recipe from the Berlucker's Guide, yeah. we've got olive oil, butter, garlic, anchovies, and black pepper. And Sounds then, terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's blended together, and then you dip bread in it. Wow. You gotta have some cheese in there or something. You would think, right? <laughs> Let's all go make that and report back next week. Um. 
in that. Some die of a heart attack first, okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I muted myself. I was saying something. <laughs> um, I was going to actually go through the amounts of stuff in this. It's quite... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Franklin's right in what he says later on, because it's half a cup of olive oil. Well. Quarter of a pound of butter, one stick, not margarine. Five cloves of garlic, finely chopped. Six anchovy fillets, mashed, and black pepper. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of butter. I don't think you're just supposed to drink it, though. <laughs> it's, it's grease and salt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you dip your bread in olive oil. Yeah. Except but add a little butter. Yeah, fishy. I only eat it once a year, so that was <laughs> Some people really like it, though. I mean, not just Garibaldi. I've heard... Um, actually on, um, the Babylon project, they were saying someone made it properly and made properly. It's really nice, apparently. Yeah, sushi doesn't sound good either when you just hear about it. <laughs> In Med Bay, Dr. Frank- Franklin's talking to Sheridan. He tells Sheridan he could stand to lose some weight and gives him a list of foods to avoid. Kind of like Sheridan's response. Like, Why don't you do the diet part? <laughs> Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, each of them have a slightly different reaction. Yeah. Well, he uh, says he told him he can't even eat any meat. I mean, he can't eat chicken or fish. <laughs> no. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. I like his friends, rabbit food. Yeah. Next, we see Delid meeting with Tehran. Tehran is played by Sandy Grin. I saw that he was a puppeteer in some of the Child's Play movies. And as an actor, he was on a show called Zubilee Zoo, and he was on Kung Fu The Legend Continues. <laughs> so Tehran tells Delin that there is some concern among the Minbari on B5 that she's no longer one of them. She says she's more one of them than he'll ever know. And he says that if she can't give them what they need, they're going to ask for another representative. I think it's interesting the way she responds to this, because... You know, he says, unless you object, you know, and she takes a deep breath and she's like, no, I do. You know, I have no objections. And I think, you know, there's a bunch of different ways a person could take that. You know, I mean, that's that's tough to take. You know, a person could be offended or really hurt. And, you know, she just is like, fine, you want to you want to not see what's going on here? Then that's fine. You can live in your world of ignorance and I'm going to stay on my path. Let's show some of her strength, I think. Yeah. Heidi and Elizabeth, weren't you kind of thinking something like this was going to come up? Um, I didn't really think about it, I guess. I didn't either. Maybe I'm imagining that you actually said something about it before. Well, no, we possible. might have. We, we talk a lot when we're speculating. <laughs> I love the line that she said, I'm more one of you than you'll ever know, something like that. Yeah, one of us. I don't know if it's just me um, projecting, but it seems like her attire has changed a bit. Like, it's a little bit softer, more colorful. A little more colorful, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think you're right as well in terms of being softer. I think um, before it had more angles and perhaps more bulk to it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a little more alien in in its overall design. I think what she's wearing now is something that you could conceivably see, you know, a person wearing, like a human person wearing, you know, 
some of her outfits before had these big weird foldy things on them, and it's like, what, what's the purpose of even of that? But now, <laughs> but now she's wearing, but now she's wearing, you know, like dresses and things that you know look look like a dress. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, I mean, maybe I'm reading into this scene in the way she reacts to it, but as she becomes more confident in her new identity. Conversely, um, what she's wearing and how she looks is softened. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I like the that whole thing because it, it, it's it, it's doing an interesting symbology thing. Yeah, I think so. And she clearly still wants to be the representative; otherwise, she wouldn't let them do all their tests and right. stuff like oh, that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So over in Medbay, Dr. Franklin's trying to put Ivanova on a food plan that's going to help her leg heal. She makes a joke about her impending weight gain, and Dr. Franklin makes a joke that seems completely inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but this was the best reaction, though. It really was. Yeah, she... I'm thinking she didn't hear him, because she probably would (laughs) have had something to say about that. Or maybe not. Yeah. At this point, I was really getting annoyed with him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, this is the future. Don't they have vitamins that could take care of her calcium deficiency or whatever? I mean, why does she have to change her entire way of eating? Because it's always know. better to get it from food. Uh, yeah, okay. But I mean, also, you should be happy with what you eat, too. I mean, that's just one of our senses. Yeah. So next, the Cortez is getting ready to leave. Sheridan wishes he were going to... They say their goodbyes, and Captain Jack leaves. I kind of was like, okay, he's def- something's going to happen to him for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was going to die, but... I guess too early into the episode for just... <laughs> for him to leave, yeah. Yeah, but nothing to happen. So in C&C, Sheridan clears the Cortez for jump. And later on, we see Sheridan and Ivanova speaking. There's some delegation, I can't remember their name, but they don't want to be next to the Pacmara. And those are the ones that eat. Yeah, carrion, and leave the bones know. everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they eat carrion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sheridan comes up with a solution just to switch some people around, but Ivanovas noticed that he hasn't been the same since the Cortez arrived. And arrived, he starts to talk about the annoyances of running a space station. He was trained to run starships, and she says that station can't be run the same way. He thinks he's been turned into a bureaucrat, and she thinks that if the president was wrong about thinking he could handle the job, she needs to know. He says he doesn't know. Maybe the president was wrong. It's taken that long for it to sink in. So they're talking about the president putting him in this job. And I'm thinking, isn't the president like corrupt and evil? And so is this a good thing that he's in this job? <laughs> like, uh, did, did the president think he was incompetent? I, I'm just, I'm, yeah. Wasn't it? Actually um, well, it's actually a reference to um, the previous president. Yeah, it was the previous president. The one who was killed. Yeah, because oh, okay. um, Sheridan Wait, was the previous president's top choice. So the new oh, president the- just used the previous president's recommendation? Because yeah. he didn't come until after the president died, right? Right, but he was Santiago's first choice if uh, Sinclair got replaced. Um, because, because, because you remember that Sinclair pretty much got his position because the Mabari said, we're not going to support this unless you pick the guy that we want you to pick. Right. Yeah, but so, wasn't it, it would have had to have been the new president's choice to replace Sinclair. 
Um, I think it was probably one of those things where that order was already written and they were just respecting his wishes because that's, you know, since he had died. And think about all the other things the new president has to take on and get up to date with as well. Yeah, but I would think that this would be a top priority where uh, he's trying to manipulate everything with the alien race. And if you want to whatever's going on. If you want to get conspiratorial, you, you could say that perhaps Santiago knew something was afoot and said, you know, if anything happens, maybe also to me, then this is I want everyone to know that this is the guy that I want in charge of Babylon five, you know, sort of as one of those just in case things. Okay. Yes. Um, I totally didn't get from the script that it was Santiago that uh, that uh, appointed him in this instance because I thought it was also interesting what he said that why would he pick somebody that the Membari hate you know that just seems yeah weird. yeah it's it, uh, it, it's what's going on really you, you I think at the moment you're meant to be questioning these things and Sheridan's questioning it himself he he doesn't think he's in the right place. Right, yeah, you see you see that he's uncomfortable with the position in this episode. And I like that because you don't get that in other sci-fi. You, there seems to be this easy transition, especially in sci-fi before this, and for the most part after this, that someone's put in this position of leadership and it's a breeze for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think with both um, Sinclair and Sheridan, they've had their issues with you know the government and yeah that that's the good part of it yeah yeah it's something that second again in Battlestar Galactica you know that when people are put in positions of leadership it's not an easy um thing they'll struggle with it because mm-hmm. it's not an easy position to take on right right um so the Cortez is in hyperspace and there's an explosion on the ship. They're flying blind and they can't find their way out of hyperspace. My note here is Pat sucks. Oh, oh Pat, Pat yeah. so over the top. <laughs> He's got to shout everything, even though <laughs> like yeah, his captain's Jeff. right next to him. <laughs> <laughs> and if there was supposed to be, like, extra background noise to make us think that this was needed, it was not there. Yeah, that could maybe that's what it was. <laughs> Maybe they were supposed to put background noise in, but they never did. Um, but even when even when Pat comes along later, he's not shouting, but he, he's still over the top in everything he says. It was. It was it's like he was important. performing to the back row. <laughs> yeah. To me, I wrote a note that it looked like Captain Jack was smiling the whole time. <laughs> like He was enjoying the chaos, but... Well, hey. <laughs> yeah, he did have kind of a half smile on his face. <laughs> this is why I wear the cowboy boots. Yeah. <laughs> so next, we're on Babylon Five. We see Ivanova, Garibaldi, and Sheridan eating, and Garibaldi's caught the shoplifter. Then they start talking about Franklin's food plan. So they decide they're going to switch their food until I knew they were going to switch it, and I knew exactly <laughs> yeah. who was yeah. going to get what. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, you're just looking at it going, oh, okay, there we go. Yep, that's better for them. And and then I also knew that Franklin would come walking by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they switch it back. 
It's all done in books as well. Yeah. Yeah. The Sheridan's only allowed to eat spinach, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) A big plate of spinach, that's it. (laughs) So out in hyperspace, the Cortez won't be able to get everything back working before they drift too far off course. They start transmitting a mayday. Now, this lady on the Cortez, she was... Everybody was awful. <laughs> That's why they crashed. Awful. The guy in the <laughs> that back that was writing things on the white, the the clear board for no reason, he was awful. Like everything, people were walking through like if they were busy doing things. Like, I mean, you think everybody would be panicking, you know? I mean, like trying to figure out, but everybody's just like carrying on like yeah. it's normal. It was just very strange. Just, just an explosion. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a good crew in the Cortez apart from the captain, and <laughs> that's probably why they had the accident. <laughs> this lady was a psychor rep in A Voice in the Wilderness Part 2. Oh, baby. <laughs> um, M- maybe it was a twin. Yeah, it was a t- Oh, wait, is that the one? Wait, the one that they were trying to... Um, who was... They only talked to somebody over the phone, right? Yeah. About trying to get lease. Yeah, to Talia when Talia was trying to contact. Okay. Yeah, just the same one. And Psychor with their undercover agents. <laughs> yeah, seriously <laughs> undercover. She's the one who caused the explosion. She's pissed too. She's like, <laughs> they put me on the ship that's gonna go to hyperspace. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We haven't. Speaking of a voice in the wilderness, we haven't heard anything about Mars in a while. Yeah. Oh, it's true. So back on B5, Clarence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm Clarence, Clarence exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice bit in, about this episode that we get a fair bit of Clarence. Yeah, I was excited. And Mr. Mustache. He does look like he's got lost some weight, Clarence does. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a haircut. <laughs> Franklin put him on a diet. <laughs> yeah, everybody... <laughs> Everybody is. He's uh, like, look how, look how good Clarence looks now. Don't you want to look that good? <laughs> Everybody has to lose weight except for Ivanova, who has to gain weight. Gain weight. <laughs> <laughs> Only temporarily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Clarence tells him about the May Day. He sends a response that help is on the way. Uh, Sheridan wants the pilots ready. And Ivanova reminds him, even though she says she shouldn't have to remind him, that no ship lost in hyperspace has never been found. But I like that you know, they informed the audience of that fact. <laughs> yeah. 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 Again, it's it's something that I think is really nice that, you know, this sort of travel is dangerous. Yeah. You can't just switch on the warp drive and you're at your destination nice and easy. If you're not paying attention to what you're doing in hyperspace, you can get lost forever. Yeah, it's maybe just like maybe this would be maybe a good moment to discuss hyperspace because I think this is the first time that we really get to learn a bit about how it works on the show and that the jump gates are basically like lighthouses or beacons and that they can only project, what, what does they say, like a thousand kilometers into hyperspace from where they are. So you kind of have to know where they are to start with and then be able to like send your sensors over there to pick up the signal and then follow the signal, ride the lock on to the gate basically and so it's a lot like actual ancient seafaring where you be you have to be like okay i know there's a port over here you know so let's let's shoot off in that direction and hopefully we'll see like the lighthouse before we hit the coastline oh you know? yeah definitely and to add to that 
you have a couple of lines and the way they've done the visual effects that reinforce that idea that this is like an agency. That hyperspace has tides and currents that can pull you one way or another. Right, right, yeah. And just because, another thing is just because a gate exists doesn't mean you know necessarily where it is. So, you know, the humans know where their gates are and where the gates of their allies and trading partners are, like the Centauri and the Narn and everything else. But as we see in this episode, other civilizations have their own gates and their own lock-ons and stuff that you don't necessarily know how to find. And so, you know, it's just an interesting mystery that, you know, no one knows how old space travel is and they can find, you know, one day you could be cruising out there and find some crazy ancient hyperspace gate from some old civilization somewhere or something like that. And you got to wonder whether that's part of what the explorer ships do, you know. It's not just mapping out star systems on the rim. It could be finding ancient um, jump gates. Or finding a, a new civilization that has a few hundred of their own gates and all of a sudden a big chunk of space suddenly opens up to you because now you're allies with them and you've got all their jump gate information. How much of that did you actually get from the episode, though? Well, they... There's that, and you can infer a lot of that, and there's also, if you look on the Lurker's Guide, that they discuss this episode, and mm. the, the Lurker Guide is, is pretty pretty spoilers-free, because it was, because each episode, the comments in each episode were coming out in real time as the episodes were coming out, so... Yeah, was, well, that's what JMS speaks. Some of the yeah. other notes are really spoilery. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering, I do, Elizabeth, how much of what we've been discussing did you actually get from what went on in the episode? Mm. Well, was... hyperspace was dangerous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hyperspace confuses me. You know, I guess it's like a separate dimension or something, but, um, and that's why you can travel so fast through it. Uh, but yeah, logistics of it, I have no idea how it works. I just, I just think of but it. But I don't as... feel spoiled. I mean, I, I like to know you know how it works i just couldn't figure it out yeah i just think of it as like uh star wars and jumping to light speed don't know how it works but okay it's just a theoretical idea that they're using that there's no real world probably science that every show is going to use the same probably different for every show well there needs to be some way of condensing space otherwise you've got no drama well yeah it would take lifetimes to travel anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So over in Mad Bay, Dr. Franklin is examining Delin again. She insists that she's fine. Always side effects she's had are momentary dizziness and fatigue. He wants to know if the other men boy are okay with her change. Almost like he heard that conversation that took place earlier or <laughs> yeah, it's almost like we're in the did. same episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dylan. No, 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 you just read the script. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan asked Dr. Franklin when the new delegation that she hired Garibaldi mentioned is arriving. They're called the Bagna Cauda. Uh oh. Oh, <laughs> This was too, just too coincidental. Yeah. yeah. Next, uh, Sheridan is explaining to the pilots what's going on with the Cortez. They have a plan. To create a lifeline using the fighters, and Sheridan and Ivanova both wish they could go. I guess using that, uh, like you guys were talking about, that sort of 
seafaring metaphor. Yeah. Um, I think this is also another good moment of learning about Sheridan because, you know, she says, Alana says to him, you know, no ship has ever been found that was lost in hyperspace. You know, and he's like, well, you know, too bad, we're going to try. You know, and that's that's another thing about him that that is an interesting thing to learn is that he's willing to defy the odds and he also doesn't care what the standard conventional wisdom about something is you know he's he's willing to put himself into the equation to see if you know maybe he's the one that can change what the standard equation is you know he's 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 willing to take on um defy the odds i guess like i said he'll come up with the strategy on the fly right yeah exactly yeah i I guess i see that as fairly typical heroic captain Mm -hmm. you know thing it would have been Interesting to hit for him to go, eh, <laughs> too risky. <laughs> or if Clarence came up with it. You know, Captain, what we could do. <laughs> Clarence. And this is where he gives his rousing pre-flight speech. Yeah, an Egyptian blessing. This blessing was quoted by Harlan Ellison in one of his short stories. And we see Zeta Wing leave. Out in hyperspace, the Cortez gets a signal from B-5, and they send one back. You know, their lock-on isn't functioning. Sheridan tells them to keep on signaling their mayday. In C&C, Sheridan is getting impatient because they can't even hear the pilots at this point. Sheridan talks about how Captain Jack was his first commanding officer, so he wants to be there in the C&C. He doesn't want to take a break. Out in hyperspace, Keffer gets a signal from the Cortez... He goes out farther while his commanding officer, Gallus, or is it Gallus? Gallus? Gallus. Gallus. Uh, he stays put. The Cortez sees Keffer. Then all of a sudden, a big spider ship shows up and destroys Gallus's ship. Well, it doesn't destroy it. It just well, it goes past it. and it, it, it's, it's that whole thing that, um, <laughs> Dracar says in the first episode. This giant thing, just accidentally squashed a bug. But yeah. was it one of the giant ones, or was it one of the smaller ones? Well, it look, seemed like one of the smaller ones. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying, uh, look at the size of it, and we've seen the power of these big spider ships. It it, it looked like it didn't even realize that fighter was there as it just went past. I thought it bumped into the ship, but maybe not. Uh, I thought it was kind of just an energy field thing that... Uh, the energy fields touched and, you know, the smaller ship just got blasted with energy and it just flew apart. Yeah, one of its little spidery limbs did, did kind of smack the Star Fury on its way by. <laughs> okay. There's a right, I, I just got a different thing from it, I suppose. Um, so this gay Gallus was played by Art Kimbrough. He did a voice. I thought he did a voice and dragged me to hell. So, like, what could he have been? His voice could have been like a demon or something. Have we just have we discussed um anything else? Uh, the guy that plays Kefir has done yet? Because I can't remember whether we've properly discussed him yet. I don't know. I think I barely mentioned him. So Kefir is lost because he was linked to Gallus. Cortez sees Kefir spinning out there. Oh, so that's why. Okay. I didn't well, pick that up. Yeah, well, he also, if I'm remembering correctly, he also, the spider ship hits Gallus, and Gallus goes spinning out of control 
um, TIE fighter style and collides with um, Kefir's ship, but not as badly. And so his sort of link got knocked out, I guess, okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it, I suppose. You know what I was thinking, too, though, as I was watching this episode again? He's doing his little spin-and-shoot thing, and he's shooting back in the direction of Babylon 5. I'm like, man, I hope those bolts don't go too far. He's going to yeah. blow, <laughs> blow away his buddies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they notice him shooting in the same direction, and they figure out that's the way home. So uh, when communications are restored, Keffer tells them to get out of there, and the Cortez leaves. <laughs> like, see ya, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no tractor beams, you know, it's not that kind of technology. In CNC, they see the ships coming through and they find out about the two fighters that didn't make it. So that dome tech guy, the mustache guy, he's Tim Delgado. He was in Points of Departure and he's on a show called Big Bad Beetleborgs. So I remember hearing about that when I was younger. I don't think I ever watched it, though. I guess he did a voice or something. It's as if um, they've got to say, right, CNC's a busy place. We can't give all the extra lines to Clarence, yeah. <laughs> even though we all want <laughs> that. Uh, he was on iCarly, too, <laughs> and Dexter. Oh. So next we see Garibaldi go to meet with his dealer. <laughs> and Dr. It's like, oh, olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Uh, did you notice on the box, actually, I think it had um, either the biohazard sign or a ra- radiation sign uh, on the box? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody look in here. Yeah. So Dr. Franklin interrupts them, and Garibaldi tells him about how his father made this dish for him, so he does it once a year to honor his father. I mean, really, Dr. Franklin? <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> He's very hands-on. Yeah, Dr. Franklin says, why don't you make enough for two? <laughs> okay, that was easy. Yeah, well, at least you're getting a friendship developing here. Yeah, well, they already kind of were, I think, weren't they? Yeah, but it's a deepening friendship, I think, you know. Um, <laughs> that only shared food can bring, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing like fish paste between friends. Yes. <laughs> In the garden, Sheridan and Delenn are talking about the lost pilots, and she tells them that they are all in the right place at the right time. And then she says something which I really want to quote later. Yeah, so. the greatest but it's a lovely. I'll, I'll arm wrestle you for it. <laughs> it's a lovely bit of philosophy. Yeah. Um, it, it's every time I get to this bit, it's. She's it, a it, I just. She's a it, uh, <laughs> so the next in hyperspace, Kefir is running out of oxygen, yes. <laughs> and he sees a spider ship and calculates the flight path. I gotta tell this computer we've been through a lot together. I was half expecting this computer to. Answer back. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I can't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> On Star Trek, it would have said that. So in the CNC, they see the jump gate activate and Kefir comes through. Well, actually, uh, Sheridan's the only one left in CNC. You notice okay. Clarence is the other one, the last person to leave as well. Okay. Yeah, that's the impression I got, at least. Yeah. Um, can we back up for just a quick sec to that scene with Sheridan and Delenn? Um, 
I think we get to see some more of what it really means to be um, a leader in the uh, spiritual and religious caste of the Mimbari because, you know, this woman has just gone through a really difficult, hurtful sort of experience. And you see that she's, you know, she's processing, but she's processing in a really positive way. She's, you know, she is a spiritual person. You can see it when the way she communicates with Sheridan about it, you know, um, as yeah. long as a person could take that. And she's, she's a very enlightened being. You can tell by the way she talks about this experience. Well, not just that. She's taking a difficult, trying experience for herself and she's trying to turn it into something positive for someone else. Right. Which is beautiful. And that's Delenn all around as a character, I think. Is this where she was talking about the universe? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. change, and change, and how difficult change is. I've got some of that quoted for later, too. Yeah, yeah. and, and I think this might actually be the first scene between Delenn and Sheridan when they're alone, actually. I don't think we've had a scene of them alone yet. Yes, I think my note says Delenn wants a new husband. <laughs> I had <that> <laughs> I was missing our talk about Delenn and Sinclair's romance. I know. <laughs> Distance, you know, it's hard. <laughs> so in the air heart, they toast Commander Gallus. They talk about the spider ship and how Kefir figured out how to get home. Kefir doesn't know what it was, just that it was something dark and dangerous. And Ivana was sure they'll find out what it was one of these days, but she promotes Kefir to Commander Zeta Squadron. And at this point, they notice that Sheridan and Garibaldi are missing. Yeah, in the, it, this scene is the last bit of, if you haven't noticed Kep is a main character yet, <laughs> here, he's getting a promotion. He's yeah. a main character. They had to save the guy in the credits. The other guy can die, but... Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he did. I thought either he was going to get saved or he was going to somehow end up a, cap- a capture of, you know, a captive of, like, the whatever, the spidery things. That would have been kind of interesting. Then you follow him in his captivity, but yeah. that didn't happen. But I'm uh, like, it's kind of weird because we as viewers can see that they look like tentacly creatures, but nobody ever mentions this. So, <laughs> like, you think that this would be something that would be mentioned. Well, they have she, tentacles. <laughs> what I got from this episode, though, is that they just kind of look like dark blots. Yeah, yeah. so it's a, there's a definite disconnect between what we can see and what they can see, mm-hmm. which... Yeah, it's it's not so obvious until they come and they basically say, I didn't see anything. Or Well, so. it's not just what they see. I mean, the way Kepler describes the experience, it's it, it's a, it affects them emotionally. And, you know, I, it, it, doesn't he say something about when it passes over that there's kind of this dark feeling that comes over him? Maybe, I can't remember. I feel um, like there's a Buffy reference here somewhere, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, yeah, some sort of primal fear almost, I think. He says something like that anyway. So next there in Garibaldi's quarters, he and the doctor are enjoying a good meal. Pretty kind of a funny scene. Um, yeah, and Garibaldi gets a bit of payback. Yeah. Next, Susan goes to see Sheridan in his office. He's decided he's going back to work, and he'll go see the others in a little bit. And he 
tells Ivanova that Delenn seems to have a unique relationship with the universe. It's the end of the episode. I love her response. Mm. Yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> but this is like the at least three out of four episodes, I can't remember the fourth, that has ended on Sheridan's face. And they're really pushing him as like a... I don't think that we had that with Sinclair. I don't think we had so many episodes end just on Sinclair. Yeah, maybe yeah, that's like, interesting. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't notice that, but I think you're right. Yeah, because the first one was him giving the speech to the nobody. There was one that he gave another speech to nobody, but it was a close up on his face. And then there was this one, and I don't remember the other one. Hmm. Yeah, they're definitely imprinting him with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not in the Twilight way. Wow. <laughs> oh, Oh, oh. So apparently they had to redo the opening title for this season, and this was the first episode where everybody got to see it. And yeah, the they had to get, I guess, Bruce Botsleitner to re-record his opening. And but we've seen, oh. we've seen the same we've seen the same one, but the viewers back then oh, got I see. to see a different one, mm-hmm. right? Because they didn't have Delenn as her new appearance either. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> And our friend Bill Blair was an alien in this episode again. <laughs> it's a random hey. alien. All right. Ready to do quotes of the week? Si, senor. Yeah. I have one I'm going to try to do. <clears throat> Kefir! <laughs> <laughs> um, can I do... Do you mind if I take this, Ian? Is it okay? Well, like if you take the start of it, uh, because... It's a long scene, and you want to quote almost all of it. So you go on, on as long as you want to, and if you don't finish it, I'll finish it. Okay, very good. Well, I'll just start with uh, Sheridan's uh, quote that starts it off. He says, I wish I had your faith in the universe. I just don't see it sometimes. And she says, then I will tell you a great secret, Captain, because the, perhaps the greatest of all time. The molecules of your body are the same molecules that make up the station and the nebula outside, that burn inside the stars themselves. We are star stuff. We are the universe made manifest, trying to figure itself out. And as we have both learned, sometimes the universe requires a change of perspective. It's still good, even... It, it's it's still good, even if someone else is saying it. <laughs> He's so good, man. He's such a good writer. So do you think that um, JMS wrote that part? I think so. I think so, too. That sounds like his kind of writing. Hmm. Heidi and Elizabeth, got anything? Um, Yeah, I've got one. Ivanova, all my life I've fought against imperialism. Now I'm the expanding Russian frontier. I'll finish it with Franklin, but with very nice borders. <laughs> yeah, Franklin, no. <laughs> I also have Ivanova. Um, Captain, I believe your friend Stinky has arrived. <laughs> My only other one was Delenn. Understanding is not required, only obedience. Mm, we'll hear that a bunch, too. Um, I have a couple more. I have another, I have another Delenn one. Um, from the same scene, and she says, the universe puts us into places where we can learn. They are never easy places, but they are right. 
Wherever we are is the right place and the right time. The pain that sometimes comes is part of the process of constantly being born. Any other ones? Just an old Egyptian blessing. <laughs> God, God be between you and harm in all the empty places where you must walk. Ooh. That's pretty, that actually what works well with the idea of hyperspace, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does. Sorry, I'm looking up the name of the next episode because I forgot to write it down. <laughs> All right. So how about we do characters of the week? Who is human of the week? I didn't have a clear favorite this week. Yeah. Me neither. I'm going to say Captain Stinky just because I love Ross Templin. I, I love, I love seeing that guy wherever he is. I like the idea of having Stinky on our list. <laughs> okay. <of> favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't mind, really. Captain Stinky. How about Alien of the Week? He's got to be the land, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah he has to be the only one. <laughs> yeah, do we have any other choices? <laughs> I mean, she was great, but I guess we could pick the other Mimbari. That's about the only choice. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> oh, big, big scary spider ship. We could, we could pick that, too. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I'm going to go with the land. Yeah. So let's do some episode ratings. Want to start us off, Elias? Yeah, I'm going to give this one a solid seven. I I, I really like it um, for a few reasons. I think it's good because it helps us get to know Sheridan a little bit more still. We get to see not only what kind of commander he is with his willingness to, um, you know, defy the odds and think outside the box, but we also get to see him as... Um, how he is among his people, among his staff, among his troops and pilots, you know, he's, you know, he maintains his command, um, aloofness, but he's also one of the guys and he lets him know, you know, he lets him know that he's like, he's willing to sit down and drink with him after work, you know? And I think, I think it's good for that. And it sets up a lot of good plot lines for the future, a lot of the good hooks. And, uh, we learned a lot about, uh, space travel and how it works in this universe. And, um, what other good stuff? All right, cool. Uh, what do you think, Heidi? Um, this one for me was a little lower. Um, I have made it known that I'm never a very big fan when people's family and friends come to visit on the <laughs> ship. It, it just, just always seems forced to me. Um, but I did enjoy the, I guess, the B storyline with everybody being on a diet. Um, so. <laughs> I'm going to go with a 6 out of 10 uh, <laughs> bowls of spinach. <laughs> oh, I forgot uh, to do my thing. I, it's seven, 7 cowboys. That was mine. Uh, <laughs> so, three pairs and one old one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's what the tentacle creature would wear. Seven. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I would like to see is one of those things. Little cowboy boots on the heads. No, I'm imagining that, them with cowboy boots, a cowboy hat, and a little sheriff's badge. Right, exactly. Uh, Photoshop, Photoshop. <laughs> How about you, Elizabeth? Yeah, I'm. I'm just okay on this one. I think if we hadn't been building up on these creatures for a long time, I would have felt that we got more information. You know, I think that we're just kind of treading water at this point with, we haven't really learned too much new about them. Um, Stinky was okay, but his crew really turned me off. Like I thought it was just very, I don't know. 
unprofessional, just the acting style. And that kind of took me out of it a little bit. I didn't really like the B plot all that much because I was getting really upset with Dr. Franklin <laughs> and he's such a busybody. And, um, but it was, it was kind of amusing. So I'll give it that. So I will also give it a six. I was going to say spinach and only spinach salads, but, oh. uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, so six, um, uh, um, six. Who the hell is Pat's? <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Ian? Well, I didn't like this episode largely because of the main plot. That it just didn't grab me. I just feel like we had the brakes applied to everything, as if you know this episode has been dropped in. It's got a nice little bit of plot threads, a little bit of nice character moments in the uh, B storyline. But we've had some really nice movement and really nice acceleration of tension over the last three episodes, and all of a sudden it's ground to a halt. Uh, I just felt like there should have been more tension here, more imminent danger. Uh, so I'm going to give it six and a half out of ten over the top executive officers. Okay. Well, I thought, yeah, the episode was all right. I liked Captain Jack just because I like, well, like Elias, I like Russ Tamblin. I wasn't too interested in the, um, the main plot. And like a lot of you, I thought Dr. Franklin was annoying, but it, it did give us some funny moments. But overall, yeah, it was just an okay episode. So I'll give it seven out of ten meal plans. And you know, we haven't seen Tall yet much at all. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Will's happy about it's that. Like, Yay! No, She's in the credits. Will, have you been going around all the DVDs and chopping around of yes. each episode? I've re-edited my fan edit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, she doesn't bother me as much as she used to. I think I'm getting used to seeing her again. Because she hasn't been anything. That's right. <laughs> That's why. So our total score is a six and a half for this episode. That seems about right. Um, dum dum. So let's hop on an explorer class ship and take us all the way out to the rim of feedback land or something. <laughs> hey. All right. Our first piece of feedback is a comment from board 99. I'll read that. Board says, there's going to be an intro cast war. Oh no. <laughs> ADS is one is one of the more throwaway episodes in season two, unfortunately. It's pretty much all about Keffer's ominous encounter with the mysterious spider vessel, but there is an episode first before one gets there. That episode does some decent world building by clarifying how hyperspace works, but that's about it. The solution to the problem of how to rescue the Cortez is sensible, but achieves its sensibleness by really, by being really obvious and boring. So, a side note, at least for me, one of the things that season two struggles with at times is making Sheridan interesting. I think that what may have happened was that putting him in the Sinclair role had to be done at top speed in order to keep plot developments on schedule. As a result, Sheridan is pretty much your standard issue heroic space captain without a lot of there, without a lot there. Without a lot of there, there. Oh, without a lot of there, there. Okay. I agree. I completely agree with that. Yeah. This episode sees one of 
the less successful attempts to add some complexity to that by gesturing at the notion that he's not suited for a, quote, desk job. Two problems. One, this is another heroic space captain cliche. See James T. Kirk. Two, Sheridan is constantly pretty damn good at being commander of B-5, so there's not a lot of evidence of a rocky transition there. Also, the spoiler-rambunctious lurker's guy preserves a horrifically ham-handed attempt by JMS to defend the offensive name of the Cortez, which is darkly amusing in its sheer speciousness. Speciousness. Thanks, for Yeah, I read that explanation, and I just decided I wasn't gonna <laughs> wasn't gonna read it here. And there's not many other comments there. You've got to wonder uh, whether he really was pleased with this episode. Yeah. So next we have an email. Thank you. Oh, thanks for. (laughs) Yep. Almost we got to say thanks, Ford. Next we have an email from Suki who wants to read that. I'll take that one. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry for not emailing in for the last couple episodes. I got wrapped up in a project that got me through all of season two and half of season three. I'm currently (laughs) almost done with season four, so sorry if I don't remember details very well. Sheridan got kind of irritating this episode, but understandably so. He was used to a much different kind of work when he was running a starship. I think Sinclair's way of dealing with it was jumping into the middle of things or taking out a fighter. So far, Sheridan has had a lot more of the station running to do without getting to see a lot of action. I think the interaction between him and... Ma- and How are we saying this? Maynard? Stinky? Yes. <laughs> between him and Stinky was a lot better than him and his sister. Sheridan told people what you would actually tell them if your old friend came around, not his whole life story. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> the B-plot in this episode was great. It reminds me of a word in Schadenfreude, German words for the human condition. I don't remember the word exactly, but it meant wherein your doctor forbids you from everything you enjoy. <laughs> oh, oh. Why isn't there a word for that in English? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Franklin certainly seems to be doing that this episode. It was nice that people actually deal with their injuries after an episode. Well, it was kind of forced with Ivanova. <laughs> yeah. Um, too often in shows, someone has the crap beaten out of them, and then they're fine two days later. True. Mm-hmm. For some reason, when Gallus's Star Fury is exploding, it always sounds like he's yelling Jaffa to me instead of Kepper. The effect of too much Stargate, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jaffa. Jaffa, yeah. yeah. Jaffa! Creep! Yeah. <laughs> um, human... Uh, stinky. <laughs> well, his, well, his initial effect on Sheridan made him kind of a jerk. I think the result of Stinky's visit will make Sheridan a better captain for B5. Alien, I don't really remember who did a lot in this episode, so I'm going with the representative of Bagnacauda. Rating 7.5 food plans. Not my favorite episode, but still pretty good. Quote, Ivanova, figures, all my life I fought against imperialism. Now suddenly I am the expanding Russian frontier. Franklin, but with very nice borders. <laughs> and it's from Suki. And yes, we pronounced it correctly. Yay. Yay. Thank you, Suki. Hey, Suki. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm uh, not surprised you've gone all the way through to season four already. If you're not doing an intro cast, Babylon 5 is addictive. Next email is from Lori and Carl, who wants to take that one. Sure, I'll take it. 
Hello, Ambassadors. Here are somewhat random thoughts from Carl and myself for the episode. Overall, we were a bit disappointed. Carl felt the writing was not very good. Of course, it was not JMS. And I did not particularly like Stinky. He came on too strong and was a bit of a jerk to Sheridan. Sheridan. The pilot, Gallus, who was introduced, was not surprisingly the red shirt. The plot line of Sheridan needing to come to grips with his new job and responsibility seemed overdone. Carl thought the messy desk metaphor was heavy-handed, especially since they must do most everything via computers. What was that mess on his desk anyway? <laughs> now for some positive notes. Carl noticed that the actress playing Delenn was really changing her entire demeanor to act much more human when speaking to humans. For example, when speaking to Sheridan and Stinky. Then, when she was speaking to the random Minbari, whose acting was not stellar, her demeanor became much more Minbari-like. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> what is that? That was my phone ringing. Sorry. <laughs> Some random Dalek. Yeah, that was a random Dalek yelling in the background. Um, okay. We both enjoyed all her scenes and thought she did an excellent job. She has a nice quote in there. I also loved how she blatantly lied that her government had no problem at all with her change. The subplot with Dr. Franklin and the diets was very entertaining, particularly with the switched meals at dinner, just like little kids might do. We both wanted to see Dr. Franklin try to give Delenn a special diet. <laughs> I am sure she would not have taken too kindly to that. Overall, it was interesting learning about the jump gates and hyperspace. I thought the way they carried out the rescue was very clever and should have been completely successful had it not been for the bug spider ships. Carl thought they seemed to be watching and preparing for something just sitting in hyperspace. Our quote was what poor Gallus yelled as he was attacked in hyperspace, that we had to rewind and turn on the closed captioning to determine that it was Keffer! <laughs> we missed the ambassadors who were not present and hoped they returned soon, especially Kosh. Carl? <laughs> Carl likes his specific ratings. <laughs> Carl rating 6.81. Human fat smuggler. It took me a minute to get this. Alien Delenn. Lori rating 6.5 unnecessarily messy desks. Human Gallus. Alien Delenn. And is anyone going to try Garibaldi's recipe? It no. is in the Lurker's Guide. Oh. No, probably not. <laughs> Lori and Carl. Thanks, guys. Well, Thank I've you. read it out of trees. Yeah, I've read out the recipe on there, so you don't have to go digging if you really want to try it. <laughs> Lori's going to be our guest next week. I want to. Oh, great! I want to know how Carl got six point eight one. I want to know exactly how he came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> what he did deducts points off for? What he adds points for? <laughs> yeah. Our next email is from Bob the Grand. Who wants to take that? And I can take that one. Okay. From Bob. Okay. By now. I've seen enough to know that I definitely prefer Sheridan to Sinclair. Stay faced with the same situation, I have no doubt that Sinclair would have been out there himself on a fighter plane. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. Sheridan, although clearly disgusted with the desk job, acted like the leader of a space station and sent other pilots out. So Franklin mm -hmm. is trying to have all the officers hate him. <laughs> when the Cortez was going through the trunk gate, my first thought is that it would explode, although I had no idea why that would be the case, and it turned out to be a bad guess. I really want to see what Londo will do to have millions of victims, although arranging for the Narn outpost to be destroyed was clearly a good start in that direction. Bob DeGrant. Thanks, Thank Bob. Thank you, Bob. Cheers, Bob.
I think Bob is going to start an Orphan Black um, podcast. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent show. The next email is from Anka. I'll read that one. She says, hi, down below team. Just a very quick review from me for a distant star. First of all, can somebody explain to me where in that episode the talk of that distant star was? I didn't get that. (laughs) (laughs) Titles don't make any. They don't have anything to do with the episodes. (laughs) Maybe it was the Delenn thing. Maybe. Yeah. Like her universe molecule talk. And of course, the explorer ships explore distant stars. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't like Captain Maynard or Stinky too much. <laughs> he made Sheridan grumpy with his talk. Although I liked Grumpy Sheridan. Although I liked Grumpy Sheridan. And how Susan was pretty honest with him at their little talk in his office. The Explorer ship was pretty impressive and nearly as big as B5. Lots of good CGI in that episode, I have to say, with regards to it being a 20-year-old show. The story around diets, oh, the bad word, was just annoying. I'm not sure what kind of feelings I get when somebody is pressured to eat differently by his doctor. Been there, done that. (laughs) I love the little scene with Delenn and Sheridan at the end of the episode. We are star stuff. I always relate to what Delenn says. We are put into places where the universe wants us to be for a reason. That's a nice story to tell yourself when life sucks for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Will Delenn get in trouble now because of her change? We'll see. So anyways, not the most impressive episode. I don't remember my favorite quote right now, but I guess you will quote it anyway. Star stuff was pretty cool, though. Human of the week, Ivanova, because she was honest with Sheridan when he needed it. Alien of the week, Dylan. We are star stuff. I give that episode 5 out of 10 different stars. Distant stars. Sorry, guys. Not much to say this week because my plane is already boarding. Bye till next week, Anka. Thanks, Anka. Anka, you travel a lot. Where are you going, Anka? I want to know. And don't worry, that's a decent home feedback. Nice bit of thought put into it. And I agree. I hate the word diet, and I never use it for myself. Because, yes, I have changed my eating habits, but I refuse to use the word diet. Mm -hmm. Me too. (laughs) Mm. It's got so many awful connotations to it. (laughs) Yeah. So our next email is from Jan. Wants to take Jan's email. Um, I think it's my turn. Hello, fellow lurkers in down below. Here's a bit of feedback for season two, episode four, A Distant Star. Sheridan Swamp Rat gets a visit from his old friend Stinky. His explorer class ship, the Cortez, is huge, about the size of the station. Stinky <laughs> talks about the strange things going on in hyperspace or at the rim. When the Cortez is lost in hyperspace, Sheridan risks a lot to get them back and reminds the crew of an ancient Egyptian blessing, and there is a cost of the success. When an old captain, used to seeing strange things, has the shivers, I would worry too. Dr. Franklin puts everyone on a diet. No, 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 no. Food plan! (laughs) Of course, no one gets to eat what they like. Surprise! The food swapping scene is quite funny. And Ivanova sees her as the expanding Russian frontier, and the doctor is invited to Bagnacauda, but without dessert. The other Mimbari are worried about Delenn's transformation. Is she really truly Mimbari now? Delenn is quite the philosopher, talking about always being in the right place at the right time. I know that her star stuff speech is quoted from Carl Sagan. I still love that one. Favorite human, Captain Stinky Maynard. Favorite alien, Delenn. Not much choice here. 
favorite quote. Um, Ivanova. Captain, I believe your friend Sneaky has arrived. And to the exchange after Sheridan's talk with Delenn. Sheridan, ever have, ever had a long talk with Ambassador Delenn, Commander? Ivanova. From time to time. Why? Sheridan. She and the universe seem to have a special relationship. Ivanova. Don't we all? Sheridan. Star stuff. Rating, I rate this episode 8 out of 10, Explorer Ships Lost in Hyperspace. And with this, watch out for the coming of shadows. Yan the Babylon Lurker. Thanks, Yan. Thanks, yeah. I think I said your name wrong again after all this time. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Next, let's do some predictions. The name of the next episode is The Long Dark. Any idea what that's about? (laughs) Shadows? Spiders? <laughs> I yep. hope this is about spiders. That's sounds like more about the sort of hints about what these things are, so maybe it has maybe something affects um uh, what's his name? Keffer. And he has to deal with some repercussions of his what he felt out there. Okay, I'm gonna go uh completely out on a crazy wild prediction limb here. And try and come up with some idea of what these things are, since that seems to be a question that Ian really wants us to answer. Um, I'm going to say that this whole thing with them, like, making a person feel strange when they encounter them, that we already have this idea of reincarnation and the Mimbari souls becoming human into human bodies or whatever. So I'm going to say that these dark spider things are somehow souls of, I'm not sure of who, um, maybe of uh, evil centauris who decide to take over the world, like Londo. <laughs> um, yeah, that's as far as I, I've gotten with that particular theory. Um, so yeah, they are souls of spider souls, spider souls. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a really good afternoon cartoon. Uh, I cannot top that. Um, I want to see more sigh stuff, but I don't know. Talia episode. We keep keep waiting for her to come back all powerful or crazy, but it never happens. I know. I feel like, like, because. I don't. Know, I just. I just feel like a lot of the stuff they were building up in season one is not going anywhere. So. Yes, and I feel bad about that because there were yeah. some really good theories. <laughs> I know. I know. But yeah, I don't really have much more other than I just think you know we'll we'll maybe hopefully see a little bit more about what they did to him and um and just tall y'all episode. So. <laughs> oh wow! Just an all. Is she the only one in and no interaction yeah, with it's anyone just else? A, it's a um. Just a monologue, you know, one 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 person show. Well, and this is Will's favorite episode ever. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> All right. So Elias, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back again sometime down the yes, road. Yes, please do. I, I would love to, guys. It's a really fun, it's a fun podcast. I love talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah, we enjoy yeah, having you on. Yeah, thanks for coming along. Yeah, thanks. Definitely. Yeah, you have anything you want to plug? Um, 
No, not really. Thank you, though. Um, I, I will say, though, if you guys ever need uh, someone to jump in last minute, uh, always uh, feel free to get a hold of me. I love talking about Babylon 5. It's still, to this day, my absolute favorite um, television show ever, I think. I mean, I have the whole thing, and I watch it all the way through probably at least once a year. You right. know, so, and I love introducing people to it, too. Like, I, I make every girlfriend of mine watch the whole thing with me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like they, if, you lo- if you love me, you will watch this. <laughs> are they how into many, sci-fi or? I get them into sci-fi, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, how many know, I, I try to find the ones that are already, you know. Yeah. To it. Yeah, though, I kind of have to think, how many actually leave you after season one? <laughs> Well, Ray, I always, I always tell him you just gotta stick through it. You gotta stick through season one, <laughs> and it will be, it will be good. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's like it's actually one of those tests, you know, like, like are we meant to be together? It's like if you can, if you can watch Babylon Five with me, <laughs> then, then you're in, lady. Let me tell you. It's like it's like Ted with Star Wars on How I Met Your Mother. If you don't exactly. like Star Wars, forget it. Exactly. Hey, that's that's the second one. That's Babylon Five yeah. and it's Star Wars. And if you can make it through both of those, you're in. Wow. <laughs> you should start with Star Wars. It's shorter. That's true. It's true. It's true. I'm going to have to try that. I'm always reluctant to introduce new people because of the first season. So I always go with Firefly because it's short and... Yep, that, yep, that's a good one. If you like Firefly, I think we'll get along fine. Right, exactly. Huh. Well, well thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Well, I, thank you guys, really. It was really a lot of fun. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. And I'll keep listening. Great. Thank you. Well, that is all we have for today, folks. We'll be back next week with The Long Dark. So until Sweet. next time, goodbye. Be seeing you. Bye. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast.